Welcome to episode 65 of Girl Take the Lead, where each week we explore womanhood and leadership. And I'm your host, Tio Kenny. Oh my God. My friends, we have passion in the house with a Latino flair. I'm sure hoping you were able to take a moment to dance a little <laughs> to the music. So my guest is Dr. Juana Bordas, author of the book, The Power of Latino Leadership, Culture, Inclusion, and Contribution, Ahora, which means now. Dr. Bordas, or Tia Juana, as she likes to be called, received the International Latino Book Award and is an expert in the multicultural leadership field. She has served as advisor to Harvard's Hispanic Journal, the Kellogg National Fellows, trustee of Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership, and the International Leadership Association, ILA. She was the first Latino to receive ILA's Lifetime Achievement Award. As a founder and executive director for Mikasa Resource Center, founding president of the National Hispana Leadership Institute, and the Circle of Latina Leadership, she was commended by Latina Style Magazine for creating a nation of Latina leaders. Juana was the first in her family to graduate from college. She then served the Peace Corps in Chile and worked organizing production cooperatives in the barrios of Santiago. And barrios are neighborhoods. Today, this type of micro-enterprise work is recognized as foundational for assisting people achieve economic security. As Alicia Keys would sing, She is 80 years old, and you'll never know it by her energy and her passion. And after listening, I hope you'll feel as inspired as I did, understand more about where the Latino community comes from, and embrace that culture for inclusion and social responsibility. And I especially loved my conversation with Tia Juana about assimilation and acculturation and was left with a lot of hope and peace. So here you go. Enjoy the listen. So welcome, Tia Juana, to Girl Take the Lead. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Well, I'm very thrilled to be here, and welcome to all the folks that are joining us today. Um, I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah. And I think let's start first by telling our listeners why I welcomed you as Tia Juana. <laughs> right. Well, Tia means aunt in um, in the Latino culture. But, you know, there's this tradition of aunties uh, in the Black culture and, and in all cultures, really. You know, it was your mother's best friend or 
Maybe it was uh, your next door neighbor. It could even be a realty, a, a real auntie. But, you know, ants are different than authority figures because they're kind of like a little bit older. Maybe they have some perspective, but but there's a more congenial relationship, if you want to call it that. And, um, you know, in my work in diversity and also with young people, what they're looking for is the end of hierarchy, the end of dominance, the end of one group thinking they're better than the other. Right. And, uh, you know, the old mentoring relationships, because people could say to me, I could be a mentor, but the old mentoring relationships were really one up, one down still. And so I'm saying, you know, young people want allies, but they, but I, so I said to them, well, why don't I just be Tijuana? I'll be your aunt. Uh, so I'm a little bit older. I have some perspectives, but I want to learn from you just like you are learning from me. And I, um, and I've learned so much from the young people, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I want to have that kind of relationship with them where I feel, they feel I'm very accessible. I'm very authentic. Um, yes, I'm older and I have some perspectives that they might want to know about, but I want to do it in more of a congenial relationship than a, than a dominant uh, structure thing, like a mentor. So question, when you were at Texas A&M this weekend, did you introduce yourself as Tijuana or did yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> well, I did talk to them about being Tijuana and they love it. And of course, Tijuana kind of goes with Tijuana, which kind of goes with Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. But it's a great handle. And that I have that handle on TikTok as well, because young people are looking for relationships and they want to know who you are. Yeah. This whole thing about, you know, I'm an authority figure. So you do what I say. No, they don't. And I, by the way, I have a millennial daughter. And I say the difference is, is that when I was growing up, if my parents said jump, I would say how high. Right. I mean, I grew up in that kind of structure. But with my millennial daughter, she'd want to know why. Yeah. Or, yeah. Why do you ask that question? Why are you asking me to do this? You know, and, and also let's talk about this or, or, you know, is there another way? So I learned a lot from her as well, because you can't parent today like you parented in the past. No, you can't. She was on a computer since she was three. Yeah. And so young people have so much more information and they're so connected and, and the way they think is so broad. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so I really love being Tijuana because that really makes me more accessible to, to the future. Yeah. Our young people are the future. Absolutely. And sure. I want lateral relationships. And, you know, I think that's great because we have four generations. And one of the things we need to look at is the fact that 10,000 baby boomers retire every day. Yeah. We are going through this incredible generational shift. And millennials and Zs are the largest, you know, largest generation. And one thing I'm really trying to get people to understand, especially those that are interested in creating a more equitable, inclusive society that takes care of its people, is that when you look at this generational shift that's coming, it's coming really quickly. And these young people are ready to, to create a different kind of society because there's so many issues they're facing like climate change that are the result of the baby boomers. Um, really, um, I, I think we just didn't have the perspective about how entrenched capitalism was and the fact that today three men own half the wealth in America. So how can we expect our young people to have a viable future if they don't have access to capital. You know, baby boomers at the same age of millennials had four times the wealth that young people have today. Yeah, they. my daughters keep reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention college debt, you know? 
Absolutely. You, you can't work your way through college anymore, uh, the cost of housing. But more than that, even though they're the largest generation and are most educated and are the highest participants in the workforce right now because they're growing so big, um, even though that's true, um, their wages are not keeping up uh, because of inflation and because wages are not keeping up with uh, with the changing times. Yeah. Well, I think it would be great for the us to talk a little bit about your origin, your origin story, as you call it. Oh, yeah, and- I call it. My, that's I learned that from my 24 year old grandson. <laughs> I, I was telling him how I love people to share their stories. And he says, oh, no, the superheroes have an origin story. <laughs> and then the other thing I did with the kids that uh, the young kids, the young people at Texas A&M, instead of asking them what their asset um, was, I said, what's your superpower? That's how young people talk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So they said to me, what's your superpower? I said, I'm still standing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> um, well, I, I just have so much gratitude when I talk about my origin story, um, because sometimes I think about where I came from and I think what a miracle it is that my life's a miracle, really, you know, I think everybody's life is, and I want to encourage them as I talk to go through the same sort of reflection. One of the the joys and the benefits of age is that you get perspective, but only if you think about it and you reflect, then you integrate. And that's our job, you know, as we move through life to integrate this journey. So here I am, I was born in the jungles of Nicaragua. Uh, my parents um, and my ancestors all lived on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, and there was a tsunami in the 40s that wiped it out. And so my father, in his wisdom, took the family, and at that point, there were, I wasn't born yet, so there were um, there were five children, and he went to the Bonanza mine up in the hills and began to work in the commissary, because he he was a bookkeeper, actually, he had, he had learned how to do that to earn enough money to bring his family, his familia to America. And, you know, that's the American dream. Uh, so we were actually like kind of like refugees in a sense because our ancestral home had been wiped out. So my first memory is getting on a banana boat on the coast of Nicaragua to come to the land, the promised land. In um, so I remember it was a banana boat. There were all these bananas and coconuts. My first memory, I'm in the hull of the boat there was a room in the back with bunk beds where my family was. And my brother Cristobal, Chris, says to me, do you want a, do you want a banana? <laughs> and the interesting part is we landed in Tampa, which was the banana port. And people from Tampa are called Tampa Bananas. So here I am. <laughs> but what a gift. Yeah. Right. What a gift. And then um, The other thing I think I want to share, especially with the women, is the power of women. You know, my mother, here she is with a fifth grade education. And and when you look at our origin picture, we really do look like the people on the border in Mexico today. Uh, Here she is with a fifth grade education in her humble way, goes to the parish priest and says uh, in Spanish, she says, Puedo cocinar, limpiar, cuidar niños. I can cook, I can clean, I can take care of children. But then in her wisdom, in her stamina, in her idea of a, of a vision for her children's future, she said, give me a job. You know, she had given up everything, her culture, her family, her language, the respect she had back home so that I could be here with you today so I could have a better life. 
So I always say, how could he refuse a selfless soul like that? Mm. So my mother washed dishes, cleaned floors, so I could become an educated person. And so when I was growing up, of course, I thought that was like, I was so deprived, you know, an immigrant, a girl growing up in the forties and fifties, a Latina, you know, and now I know I come from greatness. Yeah. I encourage women to go through their origin story, go through their life and, and transform it, find out, you know, what's, what's the nuggets there? What's the gold? And how did that make you who you are? You're a powerful person today because of your past. So how do we heal that, transform it and bring it forward uh, so that we can serve and live and, and grow at a higher capacity? Yeah. Well, what, what about you? Well, I, <laughs> Well, I'm listening to you and having a lot of gratitude for my abuelita who was in the laundry. She cleaned and she did laundry um, and she was always very happy and sold Avon on the side. And, and my grandfather was a cook um, and he did that when he came across um, from Mexico and he cooked at the train stations along the way. He was one of those guys. And when he got to LA, he had met my grandmother and they fought like cats and dogs because she apparently had been very rich, lost everything. And he was with Pancho Villa raiding the rich people. <laughs> so there, there was this always, we never brought up Pancho Villa in the house because it became, it became very loud about who was, who was good and who wasn't, you know? Yeah. Well, we were kind of having those kind of divisions today. Still. <laughs> I guess so. they would fit right in, Yeah. But, yeah. but they did love this country very much. And they were such fans of president Kennedy and had oh, him yeah. on an altar, you know? Like, oh yeah. Well, you know, people should know that president Kennedy, you know, if, if, if when you read my book, and I hope everybody's going to get this new book I have, The Power of Latino Leadership Ahora, because I don't care if you're Latino or not, you need to know about the Latino wave that's coming, and you need to know that we want you to come with us. You know, very different than the diversity and inclusion conversation. Latinos want to include everyone. We're very multicultural people. Um, but what I was going to say was that... Um, what, what were we talking about? I just lost my thought. I got so excited. Kennedy, Kennedy and the altar. Oh, the reason Kennedy was so beloved is that when you read my book, you're going to find out about manifest destiny. And, and that's an, uh, kind of an ugly sore on our history that we don't acknowledge that God told Anglos and white people that were settling the United States that they were ordained by God to uh, colonize all the people that weren't white because we couldn't rule ourselves because we didn't have that capacity, you know? And so we have to transform that and change that. Uh, because today, when you look at what people of color are contributing and have contributed, we're really going to be the strength and the vitality of America. And there's nothing more beautiful than people of different races and ethnicities and, and cultures learning from each other. So John F. Kennedy was the first one who looked to the South and said, those are our neighbors. That is our future. And he started the Alliance for Progress and started investing in South America. And I don't know this, this is kind of a sexy thing. He and Jacqueline went to, to South America and she spoke Spanish. Yes. 
in addition, he was Catholic, which connected to the the Southern Hemisphere. And in addition to that, he talked about public service and people. And let me tell you what happened to me. I saw him when I was in college. And uh, of course, John F. Kennedy was right at the crossroads of where we are today. He was talking about the change in generation for the boomers. And so he said in his inauguration, let the word go forth from this time and place that the torch is passed to a new generation. And so he brought public service to a higher level and I joined the Peace Corps. And it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me after finishing college to be able to go back and pay back what I had been given by this country and to reconnect with my culture, my ancestry and the great history of the people that have, you know, in the Southern hemisphere. Mm. Well, I think you've spoken a little bit about some of the population change, but your book is so solid about what we can see in the future. You know, just the sheer numbers of people coming in and the whole multicultural orientation that's going to be ahead of us. And I thought you might want to talk a little bit more about that from the book. Well, I mean, and you're an example of that. You're, you're a multicultural person, right? You have to tell me your heritage besides your uh, Mexican heritage. So half of my family, half my, my father was uh, first generation here in the United uh-huh. States. And then my mother was Anglo. So she's French and German and a lot of those things, uh-huh. <laughs> but it was, it was the fifties. And you've mentioned this about um, assimilation versus acculturation, which is what I think you know, you're saying the future is going to be acculturation. Yes. That, you know, those of us that that were in the assimilation are kind of like a lost heritage. You said, you know, lost generation about our, our language about, you know, just some of the vibrancy, the passion parts of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, one of my sayings in my first book, because I did a lot of work on acculturation there too, was it's never too late to acculturate. Yeah. So we should all say it together. It's never, never too, late too late to acculturate. And in fact, the invitation to become a multicultural person, particularly through the Latino community, since we have a bienvenido spirit, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how mixed we are and what's coming, you know, you're invited to be part of that. So I had to assimilate. You don't become successful in the 50s. And I started college in 1960. And you don't become successful in those days without assimilating. You had to. Plus, I never saw a Latino teacher or professor or business person or even bus driver. You know, we just didn't even exist till 1980. That's when we were first put on the census. So how could you have an identity when the whole country didn't acknowledge that you even existed? You see what I mean? And so it's only by going back and retrieving. But the thing is, is that people are welcome to join with us in creating this multicultural society. And I have to tell you that half of of young people that are millennials and Zs already identify as multicultural. It's already here, right? And so how are we going to take our society and create this, I call it the next evolution of humanity. It's our next transformation. To be able to understand that all cultures, all races, all ethnic groups, every gender and every, we all have something to contribute. And in bringing that together is the richness of our next step, because we're here and we're together now. 
I mean, the world, you know, one out of five people move and, and, and we have immigrants here, you know, they're serving you when you go to a restaurant, you know, we're able to benefit from their foods and customs. And so people can acculturate. So let me give you an example. Latinos are a we culture. Women are a we culture. That means that women and, and all cultures other than the individualistic kind of Anglo white culture, or we might call it wasp, I don't know, any name is fine. But the old culture um, did not uh, encourage uh, acculturation. And maybe that was okay in those days, but it's just not what you want today. You want to be able to tap into, because 78% of the entries into the labor market in the next decade are going to be Latinos. So it doesn't matter where you are. You're going to want to sell to them. You're going to want to be, you will be working with them. They might be your boss. They might be somebody you supervise. They might be the person that does your lawn or takes care of your children. You know, we're going to be here. And, you know, by 2045, we'll be one out of four. So let's celebrate that because Latinos are mixed. You're mixed, I'm mixed. My father was French Nicaraguan, by the way. So we have that in common, the French background. And uh, so so let's, let's really start celebrating all the different, and I think people are doing that, by the way. There was a thousand percent increase on the census. And anybody who knows statistics knows that is transformational on people who claim more than one race now. And a 250 some percent increase in white people who started saying, no, I'm not just white. And we're not, you know, our, we, we are at the point now where we have traveled across this world. We've come from different places and let's celebrate the multi-diverse society that we're becoming. Oh, I love the celebration. <laughs> I want to, I want to put some good music on when we do this episode, just have, have the feel for it because the, the passion. And when you talk about it, it makes us proud of the heritage we're bringing forward. You know, my, my girls, for example, the, my millennial daughter and my Gen Zer are both in kind of these affinity groups in their, in their jobs where you know, it's okay that they're there, that they're, you know, second or third generation, they identify with the culture. And one of the things that my older daughter said was that your book, everyone in her group should read your book. You know, love have- that girl, love that girl. <laughs> you, raised her right. you raised her right. <laughs> and my younger daughter, the same way, you know, yeah. that there hasn't been a book like yours where it, it gives you this feeling of, of power. I'm so glad you put that in the title. You know, it's the power of that kind of leadership. I mean, we had it in Cesar Chavez. Many of us like, you know, followed him. Hey, and, yeah, and, exactly. And we didn't eat grapes. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't, we took, care very much so of everything that he brought forward in leadership. And we want that, you know, we're just craving, I think some of that leadership. And, and like you say, you know, we've been looking outward and maybe it's inside of all of us. Well, you know, in, in my book, the first part is three um, chapters on how you become a leader. And one of them is personalismo, who am I as a person? You know, really spending that time. Now, you got to realize, and women love this part, 
you're a one of a kind design. It, when I get really with it, I go a one of a kind design, a unique expression of the divine. <laughs> there will never be anybody like you. There will never, you know, the spirit never makes anything twice. So you are unique. And part of our job is to find out who are we? What are our talents? What are our backgrounds? The fact that I was the youngest daughter in an immigrant family of eight allowed my older sisters to sew my clothes. You know, one of them even took me to the dentist and fixed my teeth for me. You know, that my other my other sister helped me with style and how, how could I become, you know, she was she was a she was a fashionista. She sewed clothes and learned how to do that in Nicaragua and then started a business where she made clothes and later become a became kind of a designer. So so even even the position that you have where you were born and your background. So I, I ask people to do personalismo. I ask people to do one that I call conciencia, which means consciousness, to raise your awareness. And then the third one is called destino or your destiny, because I really believe that each one of us has a unique destiny as well. And I think one of the things that I saw in this was the characteristics that from our culture that could be embraced. And I mentioned to you that when I went to retire, everyone that I had worked with said that I was the most caring person that they had ever worked with. And that I cared about the team. I cared about the organization. I cared about every patient that came into the hospital. I cared about them, but that never showed up as a strength on oh, my wow. performance evaluation, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we're not evaluated on those kinds of characteristics. In reading your book, I thought, yeah, my superpower is that I care. And that comes from my Latino heritage, absolutely, where I, I can express myself. You know, I thought what you had to say about some of those characteristics, which, you know, we can look at our teams and go, you know, let's, include everyone because right. they have right. a different perspective on it. Yeah. And when I talk about, you know, those kind of things like inclusion, I'm talking about it a little bit from a Hispanic perspective or a Latinx perspective, because we've been left out of the conversation. You know, it's not just that Latinos weren't even declared a minority till 1980. It's that the diversity and inclusion conversation many times doesn't uh, include us. And by the way, I was going to um, say that the studies show that over 30 some percent of Latinos consider themselves multicultural or mixed. A fourth consider themselves having indigenous background because Latinos were really a fusion people between the indigenous people of this hemisphere and the Spanish conquistadors. And so we are a representation of the old world and the new, right? Because th that's who we are. We're a fusion mix. But I have French blood. Other, you know, the Germans were in Mexico. There's there's all kinds of mixtures. We're mixed people now. And a fourth of Latinos are Afro-Latino because the majority of the slaves went to South America. They did not come to the United States. So the Caribbean coast that I'm from is black and Indian and Spanish and French, and it's mixed. And so what, what you have today is the opportunity for us to look at that, that multicultural evolution that's happening. And one thing about Latinos is that that has driven what I call the bienvenido or the welcome, the welcome spirit where you can become, I call it a Latino by corazón or by affinity, by your heart. 
because since we're an ethnic group and not a race and we include all the races, we come from 26 countries, right? And so we have this open door policy kind of. And so we have to change the diversity and inclusion conversation to say, wait a minute, let's talk about inclusion. Let's talk about the benefits. You know, let's talk about how Latinos can be a prototype for how we can transform humanity to accept everyone. You know, granted, you gotta you gotta have some good values to do that. You know, you you have to be cooperative and sharing and caring like you were, because our values drive that inclusiveness, generosity, um, mutuality, where I do for you, you do for me, you know, where we help each other. And remember, communities of color are called communities because we only made it to where we are. We only overcame discrimination, marginalization, racism, colonization by hanging together, right? And by working together and by sharing and by uplifting each other. And one last thing I'll say is that in collaborative cultures, it's recognized that if somebody takes too much, too much of their share, other people are damaged. And in a we culture, we're people-centered. It's about people first. It's about what you talked about, caring about people. And that's why we're here. And, 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 and we have to make that, I don't even call it a transformation in America. We have to get back to our founding values where people, you know, people are part of the democracy and people is, is what we strive to serve and to bring forward and to uplift. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, you talked a little bit about going to Texas A&M and talking with <laughs> millennials and Gen Zers about your book and about leadership. And I wonder what you would tell leaders of those students coming forward, like, how can they be included? How can they have a seat at the table? Like what's, what would be the script that we would give them to make sure that they're represented? Well, I think part of that is letting them understand uh, what, like, like after I talk to them about their culture, I ask them to think about what are some strengths you got from your culture that enabled you to be here today? I mean, because if we look at some of these students and, and, and I would say at least half probably were first generation college students. And, you know, to have that dream, I, I like to say to Latinos, we finally have an intellectual class. When I went to college in 1960, I never met another Latino at the University of Florida. And today, the University of Florida is a Hispanic-serving organization institution, which means over 25% of the students are Latinos. And so to let young people know that not only is change coming, but they are a key determinant in looking at what change is going to be because of because they are multicultural, because they're global. You know, they've been global since they got on those handheld devices. Uh, there's a global youth culture. I put up a, a, a thing about Bad Bunny because Bad Bunny, I love Bad Bunny. And East Bunny is the number one superstar in the world. And he sings in Spanish. And the U.S. is the fastest growing Spanish speaking country in the world. Si quieres hablar español, toca el número uno. So this is coming, I tell young people. And your generation is going to have the power, the numbers, the ability, the education to change America for the better. 
you know, to bring America back to its founding values, to transform us to become a multicultural global society that takes care of its people, and to inspire young people so that they believe they now have the power, and also um, that they're going to do it together. Again, the collective force. And so I love talking to young people to have that fresh perspective and and that whole idea that my whole life's ahead of me. What what an inspiring thing. I feel so blessed to even be able to talk to them and that they'll listen to me. <laughs> and that I get paid for it. It's even better. <laughs> and they all got a copy of my book. And the book has exercises so you can use it because you it's not just about reading. It's about reflecting, applying, and then making it part of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. But I do want to say one thing is that women... Women are we culture. You know, we've always taken care of the families, the churches, the nonprofits, the community. And so we have a cutting edge there to be able to, to help other groups, to help them understand that change is coming and that we're moving more towards collective cultures. Yes. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to tell our audience before we, we well, close. I want to say, first of all, thanks for listening, because that shows that you're a person who wants to grow, care, connect. And, uh, you know, when they look at leaders, they call them lifelong learners. And here's an interesting thing about that. And that is that if a leader makes a mistake, but you do what I just said, you reflect, you change um, that challenge actually becomes a way for you to become better at what you are and what you do. You see what I mean? So I made a mistake, but I learned from that mistake. So therefore I'm a better leader and I can take more risks because I know that, you know, I'm going to do my best, but none of us are perfect. We will make mistakes, right? Or there'll be something new that we'll need to learn in order to become a better leader. And so I want to thank them first for listening and, and for, and for being that kind of leader. And the second thing I want to say is that leadership is about the future. You know, a leader is, yeah, you got to do what you're doing today, but you're really talking about the future. Where are we going? And we know that it's been a hundred years since women got the vote. And, and we've been going through this transition for a hundred years where finally we're getting to the place where women are the majority in colleges. Now they're moving up in the management and the leadership ranks, but it's taken time. And yet leaders, you know, I started my feminist journey back in the sixties and that was over 50 years ago. Leaders know what the future is bringing and they, they move forward uh, to, uh, to embrace, to advance and to understand that future. So let's not stay in the past. Let's, let's, let's work for a new tomorrow. That's beautiful. I think that's a great place to end today. Is, and thank you again so much for your graciousness and your passion and your commitment to this. Well, I'm hoping people will follow me on TikTok. Yes. And let's that talk was about one where of they the can greatest things I learned from millennials. How do you take your message to one minute? <laughs> and also they, you want them to go they're on not Facebook. Hang around longer than that. <laughs> exactly. And you so, also yeah. want people to follow you on Facebook, I think. Instagram. Uh, yeah. I'm really trying to work the social media and create a community of people. Um, so thank you all again for listening and for you, Yo-Yo, for your wonderful, wonderful podcast, your love for people and uh, and your graciousness. Oh, I just so appreciate you being here and just tell everyone, it doesn't matter. Everyone should have this book and you should be giving it as gifts to everyone, you know, <laughs> anybody in leadership should definitely read this book. Thank you so much again. Oops.
you like this episode, please leave us a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our public Facebook group, Girl Take the Lead, or visit our website, girltakethelead.pod.com. And we also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe, and we would appreciate that very much. So the way you find us is once you're on YouTube, search for at Girl Take the Lead. You can also email me at yo at yocanny.com, and I'd love to hear from you, especially if you found this episode to be really inspiring. And I'll have all of Tia Juana's contact info in the show notes. If you get her book, please leave her a rating and follow her on TikTok at Tia, T-I-A, Juana, J-U-A-N-A underscore Bordas, B-O-R-D-A-S. And here are three things we'd like for you to remember from our episode today. One, to be a good leader, you need to know yourself and you'll need to do the work to do this. Two, working across generations is the call of our time. And three, by 2045, Latinos will make up one in four Americans. So we're certainly going to shape the 21st century. Next week, we'll do a bit more exploration into bullying and leadership. I have found some good resources to address the question if bullying has increased with remote work, as well as understanding more about the female bully. And then coming up after that, we'll have numerology and leadership, as well as people-pleasing. So stay tuned and let others know about what's coming up. Thanks for being here and talk to you soon. Bye. And I'll give you one more chance to dance.